I get $40,000 to write a sales letter. And he said, and listen, the only reason I get $40,000 and other people can't get paid anything like that is because that I can say the word $40,000 without flinching. We stand today. The Business Method with the Shadow. The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs' systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their online and location-independent business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that had built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we are interviewing 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that generate a million dollars or more in annual revenue. There's a growing movement of people building these caliber of businesses and we are getting behind the minds, the logic, and the science of what it takes to build businesses like this. On top of that, we also gather entrepreneurs at events and retreats around the world. This October, we are having our annual event in Thailand. Get shit done live. It's 10 days of high-performance productivity, targeted collaboration, and rapid execution designed for entrepreneurs to get a lot of work done in a little amount of time. Some say it's like 10 months of work in 10 days. There's a magic that it happens when brilliant minds come together to push one another towards productive execution. That is exactly what this retreat is about. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That is thebusinessmethod.com. Now, let's jump in today's show. The Business Method. On a previous episode, Wade Alters called copywriting modern day alchemy. He makes a really good point. The art of knowing how to take words, put them on a landing page, and inspire people to act is a priceless talent. Today's guest is a comedian, a seasoned copywriter, and a founder of Copy Chief Community, Kevin Rogers. Kevin was a professional copywriter for 10 years, getting himself to the point where he could write a sales page for $50,000. Now he runs a Copy Chief Community that links amazing copywriters with entrepreneurs to help one another create top-notch copy and bottom line make more money it is the only one of its kind today on the show we talk about what kevin learned from being a stand-up comedian for 10 years how he breaks through different income levels and the foundational principles of copywriting that can change everything in your business you guys i highly recommend this episode because kevin's insight on copy is really 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 good and without further ado you guys let's jump into the show Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. And listeners, I'm excited and honored to welcome our next guest to the show, Kevin Rogers, calling in from a land far away called Florida. How you doing, Kevin? Good, man. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, Florida. We, always in the news. It's a very exotic <laughs> place, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as long as you're near the water, you're fine in Florida. Right. Like, Just do not wander inland. Right, it is. It is not only orange groves anymore. You, there's there's, da- there's danger. <laughs> what are you guys uh, on the news for now? Oh, what was the latest? God knows. It's it's always you know. There's a there's a great writer. I don't know if you've seen his stuff called named Tim Dorsey, and he's actually a local guy. And he writes stuff. It's he's it's Florida based. 
you know, so it's always taking place in Florida. And it's the craziest stuff you can imagine. People hold up in a motel room and they end up finding like body parts in the room, right? <laughs> and and they go on like a meth bender and a, and a killing spree across the state. And you're going, how does this guy, uh, where does he get this imagination? And then you open up the local paper and you're like, yeah, it's not that far off, right? It's just, <laughs> I don't know what... Florida, Florida attracts people who are uh, either, you know, running from the, uh, the, the cold or running from the law. You know, <laughs> those are the people who come here and, and then we just have to uh, deal with it. So it's usually not people, it's actually not actual Floridians creating the problems. Uh, it's the outsiders. Uh, it's the outsiders. Well, That's what I say. well, which one are you? Did you run from the cold or the law? I am. <laughs> my, my family ran from the, uh, the, the cold and, uh, and then I've, I'm now here uh, running from the law. So we have it, we have it all covered between, between our hair. That's good. You know, all families need diversity. You know, the doctor, the lawyer, the criminal, the accountant. Right? Yeah. And I bet the criminal gets leaned on the most he probably for help, makes the right? most money too. You know, in, re- in reality. Right. Well, welcome to the show, man. I'm, I'm really excited right. to have you. And uh, I was reading over some of your bio and checking out your website and the community that community that you built. I think that's a genius idea for Copy Chief, by the way. Um, and we'll talk in the, about the details about it more. But oh, um, it's a perfect example of like finding a need and putting two two people or two organizations together that really need something in common and create a community out of it. And that's, I love building communities. I love helping people build communities. I love um, the whole idea of building this tribe and being of service to the tribe. And it it seems like you've done really well with that. Um, And we chatted briefly about the intro or or in the intro about coffee chief. Um, And we're going to talk about it more later in the show. I just want to kind of get to know you a little bit more as an entrepreneur. I know you have quite a bit of experience as an entrepreneur, as a copywriter, as a comedian with all your great jokes. And um, yeah, we want to learn about how you became the entrepreneur and copy man and, and, and comedian that you are today. You want me to start from the beginning? <laughs> well, not at birth, but wherever you think relevant is. Like you, you were, were you a comedian first before you became yeah. an entrepreneur? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I'll tell you, man, if, if, if you were to know me back then, uh, it, it's literally like having two lives, two completely different lives, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we think about reincarnation. I wonder if I'll come back as some, a business person in my next life. It's, it's sort of like that happened to me because when I was a comic, I, I mean, I just had no business sense whatsoever. I not only didn't have any business sense, I was out to sabotage anything that looked like a good opportunity, mm-hmm. right? And I don't know whatever therapy might uncover uh, in regards to all that. <laughs> I think all entrepreneurs have to have to come to grips with their own self-worth and, you know, actually collecting money. And some people struggle with that and others don't. But for me, I look back now and I, I just, you know, Comics are, and it's funny, uh, Chris, because now, full circle, so I did comedy um, right out of high school. Mm-hmm. I was uh, did my first open mic. I was 17 or 18, and it was instantly hooked. And within four months, I was the house MC at that club, so that meant I was on stage, you know, eight, eight six nights a, a, a week doing eight shows, which is... You know, you can only develop stand up yeah. on stage. You know, you can you can write, but it, 
And so to have all that stage time was unbelievable. And so I got to grow quickly. And, and by 19, I was on the road full time working, working the club circuit. And, um, you know, I, it, it was it was only life I knew. It was, you know, I'd done some odd jobs and things. Um, but comics are a, a kind of a lazy breed, right? <laughs> the ones who work, the kind, the, and I look back now and it's just so funny to, because, so now I'm back into it, Chris. It, 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 for the last two years, um, I actually went back to the state. Never thought I would do, perform stand-up again. But a friend of mine sort of challenged me to open for him at a theater here mm-hmm. in St. Pete, 2,000 people. And I did that. It's a whole story into itself. But it's so funny now to be back in the world of, of comedy and see the different personalities. And it, it's almost like if you're going to be like stri- super committed to being a great comic, you, you almost have to have this sort of outlaw mentality that – and it really conflicts with a business owner's mentality, right? You have to like really follow up with stuff as a business owner. You have to be responsible. You have to be on schedule. You, you, all these things you learn to develop as an entrepreneur to, to grow a business and a reputation. Comics just don't do that stuff, right? They'll, they always have these big, great ideas and they'll call you, hey, can we meet about this and let's talk about it? And, and, and you get excited and you start getting these creative things flowing. And then you realize two weeks has gone by and it's not, it hasn't been mentioned again, right? <laughs> and and that, that's sort of like the perpetual world that I lived in and that a lot of... Now, if you're... And that's why managers and agents are, are, are so critical because they bring that business side of it, right? Um, so that, that's been, you know, so I did stand up for 10 years like that. And like, I ultimately wanted to have a life. Uh, I was really burned out on the road. I remember, I remember the show for me that did it when I knew it was over as a performer. I was in, I was in, uh, Macon, Georgia, home of Otis Redding, home of the Allman Brothers. And I'm at the, you know, friggin' Ramada Inn Lounge or whatever it was. And I, sitting in the back of the room, and this is, you know, uh, God bless them, the, the, these, these really kind of rednecky folks there to see the show. And uh, um, the it, MC is introducing me, and I'm just thinking, I would pay anyone in this room everything in my pocket to go pretend to be me right now. Right, I cannot walk up there and pretend that I want to be here and, and tell these jokes again. And I was like, "All right, well, that's I'm not doing that to this audience. I'm not doing that to me. I got this. I got to find find something else." And um, so that was it. And, and uh, you know, I, I'd learned through the process of trying different stuff in stand up that I loved the creative side of it more than the even performing side of it. I loved the collaborating with other creative people, right and trying to get projects did you finish that last that. so show, i knew Kevin? my life i wanted my life to be more like that i just had no idea how it would get there did you finish that last show kevin i did i did and you know what's funny it, this was one of the wildest things and I, i'm not trying to be disparaging mm-hmm. saying like this was a redneck crowd it's just that it's it's the deep south right and um but that i'll never forget this this it was the sort of the coolest heckler i'd ever had in my life so I'm on stage during that show, and I, I can't shake it, right? Like, I just don't want to be there. But I'm going through the motions, and it's not going that well, obviously, because I'm, I'm sucking. I'm not putting effort into it. And this, this voice comes out of the dark, 
and this is what he says. He goes, he goes, hey man, he goes, is, is something weird? <laughs> it, it, he's just like calling it out to me and to the rest of the people. It wasn't like he wasn't trying to disrupt. He was just really like, "Is it, y'all, is it just me? Uh-huh. Like something's weird, you know? And I go, no, you're right, dude. Something is weird. I go, the truth is, and I just like vent it. And like, I just don't want, I don't want to be here, dude. And I feel bad about it. It's not your fault. But, and I kind of went into, you know, I've been traveling and I'm tired and, and these jokes aren't funny to me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the worst thing you can do as a comedian to try to, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and what was cool was now we were just sort of having this like cafe conversation and it turned the show around, right? Because they were sort of sympathetic, but then we had some back and forth. And, and now because I was actually in the moment, it, the show got fun and I got creative again and, and ended up doing well, but it was just the funniest heckle I ever had this <laughs> voice you wouldn't think like if you hired a therapist they go all right so start with tell me what's going on with you right you wouldn't and just the fact that that voice like identified where i was in life at that moment and called it out in this dark room of strangers i'll never forget it you know, you know? oh that's great therapy on stage right <laughs> that, you know they say that you know stand-up comedy is therapy for the comic it really is that one thing that I, uh, I I think is interesting and actually amazing about whether you're a comic or you're doing public speaking or doing improv is the personal growth that comes out of that. And I know it's almost like a forced growth. You know, public speaking is the number one fear uh, in the world, right? And getting up in front of this audience and then becoming raw and authentic and trying to make them laugh is not an easy thing to do. And I'm curious, like... What are some of the, would you say, the the biggest biggest growth lessons from 10 years of being a stand-up comic? Um, I was so young, right, when I was doing it um, that it's hard to say what came from comedy and what came from just trying to, you know, manage life. I, I would have to say, though, for me, the, the travel aspect of it was probably the thing that forced me to grow the most. Uh, I mean, consider that this was, uh, I basically went on the road in 1990, right? So no cell phones, no GPS, um, literally a paper map. I had a paper and an atlas, and I had Mm -hmm. a matchbook uh, cover uh, ripped to the exact uh, legend of what is 100 miles. And so if I woke up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama and had to get to Atlanta for my show that night, I would take the matchbook and and flip it down the lines of the map and go, ah, it's a a two hour trip. Right. And then that was Mm -hmm. it. And that was I never missed a gig. Right. And um, and uh, so I think just having to learn and then you of course you break down your car breaks down and and you just find yourself in these scenarios where uh, you have to rely on people. That's the only way, the only thing that's going to save you is some stranger has to take uh, sympathy for you and guide you to uh, how to get out of this problem. And so for me, I, I think what I learned about myself is that I, I, I really like people and I care about people and I can relate to all different kinds of people. And I was going on instinct, but... I, 
I only realize now that not everybody has that and not everybody, some people are very closed off and they just don't have that ability to connect. So that was, that was a huge lesson to me and maybe why I, it was a natural thing for me to start a community and, and just know that to me, everything is relationships. Everything in life is relationships. And, uh, you know, I, I, so I'd say if I had to say that was probably on a personal growth level, the biggest thing. Um, I'd like to talk a bit more about kind of your entrepreneurial ventures. Like I think I I can totally see how comedy can set you up for gaining a strong mental thought process for being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. However, you did say that comedy was quite opposite than being an entrepreneur for you in many ways. But when did you decide to become a freelance entrepreneur and start to go out on your own? So after comedy, yeah, I, I knew I needed to quit, uh, like I was talking about. And um, so then I had to, there's two things I knew. One is I needed to get off the road and I wasn't sure that comedy was going to remain a, a part of my life. I certainly, mm-hmm. I didn't see it being the thing that was going to provide the revenue I wanted to live the way I wanted to live. And now I'm approaching 30 and obviously your priorities change a lot. And then I knew that I I was aware of the woman I was supposed to marry and be with and loved very much. And I if I didn't make a move towards us being together, I was going to lose her too. And then I really wouldn't know what I was doing. So very fortunately, we, we were able to connect. We'd been long distance for like seven years, right? So we mm-hmm. finally got together and, we, and, and, and now we're married. So we moved back to Florida and I'm doing no resume jobs. This is 2000 because I have no resume, right? I got one thing on my, <laughs> one thing on my resume, 1988 to 98 stand-up comic. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm applying to be like, you know, a valet parker at a, at a five-star resort. And they're like, uh, so they're fascinated by it. And we, we'd have this great meeting, uh, uh-huh. you know, a job interview because they, they were all – Oh, you worked with Louis C.K. and Chris Rock, and oh my God, and I'd never get the good job. I think what happened? Yeah, we bonded in there, right? And of course, they're thinking, look, you know, you're a comic. You know, I I don't know that you're. I I feel like if if an opportunity comes along, you're gonna fly the coop here, and I can't risk that. I was like, ah, right. So I I stopped talking about the comedy stuff, and I just fluffed the resume with whatever I could put. And uh, <laughs> so, so, so I'm doing these kind of jobs, a bellhop for like two years, you know, working the graveyard shift at this great old hotel here in, in St. Pete. And um, uh, then, uh, long story short, uh, uh, too late, Kev, um, a, um, a friend, old comedy friend of mine had started a business, a telemarketing thing selling timeshare resale right like one of the (laughs) scammiest things out there he was actually doing it legit i gotta give him credit but you know the industry uh, you know uh, and so he sort of like manipulated me into working with him because i I had no interest but he um knew he could trust me and he's like look I've got all these phone dogs out there, and I, I, none of, I wouldn't trust any of them to run the comp- company. You know nothing about what we do, but I know I could trust you with my life. So I'll pay you, you know, 500 bucks a week just to sit here next to me and learn what I'm doing. And I hope that, you know, you can have a 
you know, be a help to me. And I was like, oh, I couldn't turn that down. You know, I was making like less, way less than that, slinging bags around. And so uh, three months later, he says to me, look, I, I saw my doctor. They said, if I don't take a break, I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm going to go back on the road and do comedy. And you're, you're in charge. And he like, he literally throws me his key ring. Uh, I can remember it flying through mm-hmm. the air, like in slow motion. And, uh, and he said, oh, and by the way, now you make like, you know, $800 a week. And I was like, I, I can't say no to this, right? I can't not only lose the job I have, but turn down this raise. And that was a huge amount of, and I ha- oh, just had our second kid, you know, like this was, uh, so anyway, that forced me into understanding business and marketing. And it just like evolved that part of me that was missing to ever, like I, Chris, I could never understand as a performer, like, what is it that some people do that causes other people to give them money, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what I know now I would call, like, a, a value skill. Uh, I, I, I always thought, like, wow, like, when, when, when I met somebody who was doing well, I would, I would grill them endlessly on, what do you do? Oh, and how did you get into that? And how does that work? And what do people pay for that, right? I was really eager to try to understand uh, how this part of life worked that was a mystery to me so uh a friend uh, a, a guy who became a friend was a consultant for this business and he turned me on to copywriting and uh he said yeah i know you like to write you're, you're getting good at this marketing stuff and he turned me on to you know gary halbert and john carlton and uh and that was it once i discovered copywriting and sales letters and, and the persuasion of it, I was really hooked. We had a guy on the podcast a couple of weeks ago named Wade Alters, and he, he defined copy as modern-day alchemy. And he thought, he said, every man should know how to write copy because if they can, they can convert nothing into money. And I thought that was a really good description. Yep. Like copy yep. is, is, is a beautiful art um, that enrolls people and and inspires people you know moves people and also can provide an amazing business and how long were you a copywriter freelance copywriter for kevin yeah 10 years 10 years 10 or 12 years i'm curious like your growth from you know year one to year 10 i'm sure was amazing but i'd like to dig more and learn more about your own personal growth process throughout that time of being a copywriter maybe how it affected you how it affected you personally but also um we'll get into like the tricks of the trade a little later but how it how it affected your outlook on life how it affected you as an entrepreneur or a too uh, soon to become entrepreneur and and any like major growth lessons you got out of that yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I think the the, the big one was uh, just having to sell myself suddenly. You know, like as again as a comic, the the way you got paid was you had to show up at, at clubs that you didn't work and and do an audition. And if everything went right and the and the crowd was good and you were on and you did well, you'd get to come work that club. And but beyond that, I, you know, you could send tapes and do those things, but those, that really rarely got you anywhere. You pretty much had to drive to the club and show up to get work. Mm-hmm. And so um, as a freelancer, obviously, it's very different. You know, you, you, 
have to get the gig and then you have to get on the phone and uh and sell yourself and when you're new at it man it's like scary first of all it was like so foreign to me to have to ask somebody for money or name my price right uh Mm -hmm. it, it was so uncomfortable selling so that was the i think the big first personal growth thing when i started succeeding at saying the numbers having people that agree to it and having people shoot me money through invisible wires <laughs> you know through the ether and, and money would appear in my paypal account that was endlessly fascinating to me i was like this person doesn't even know me like we had one conversation right why would they do that and uh of course i you know always delivered and and so then reputation grows gosh man so what did i learn oh by the way i'll say this this is important i think you know while i was in transition uh i was discovering through that same guy who turned me on to copies chris tomasulo this guy changed my life in more ways than he could ever realize turn he was giving me uh tapes that's how old it was right cassette tapes of of uh of jim Rohn and earl nightingale and these great classic you know mindset guys and I was really starting to get addicted to self-development and really relating to what, how these people were talking about different ways to think about life. And that was opening up my mind to, you know, how life could be different. And so that was a huge part of it. Um, yeah, I, and so I think just between wanting to change, having great input on how you can change, and then being forced to enact change through circumstances. Keep in mind, I went from, when I was a comic, it was just me, really good at being alone, right? Doing the shows, you know, drinking with the staff afterwards. That was my life, just this little, like, little mini rock star life. Um, And now, uh, to have to go and say, I want to be responsible, and I want to be known as responsible and, and deliver results. Plus, you know, just learn this craft um, that that requires a great transition, and that's why it feels like two different lives completely, right? So, yeah, if I had to cite it, I would say you know, discovering what I was capable of, things that if you would have asked me, I would have said no way, I could never get on the phone and tell somebody that'll be a thousand dollars, right? And and dude, I'll never forget. Um, hearing when I was starting out as a freelancer, a, a conversation with Dan Kennedy. And he, they were asking Dan <laughs> about what he charges for copy. And obviously this is pretty old because he's a lot more expensive now. But um, Dan said, I get $40,000 to write a sales letter. And he said, and listen, the only reason I get $40,000 and it, other people can't get paid anything like that is because that I can say the word $40,000 without flinching. And I remember hearing him say that and I was and it I was like man that is so true. It, it really kind of is just the number you say. And some people will agree and other people won't. It wasn't about I just want to pull grab as much money as I could from people, right? But I just always remember that. And for me like saying 3500 or 7500 for a sales letter, people would gasp sometimes. I remember one guy in particular, I said the number Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's seven thousand dollars, <laughs> and he gasped audibly. You know, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 but you know, towards the end of my freelance career, 
my projects were $50,000. And I, I took a lot. That was a huge growth moment. The fact that I could say those words even more than I heard Dan Kennedy say that day and know that the service we provided was worth it and in the right circumstance it would be a smart investment. That was a huge thing to me that I always marveled at, you know, that you could evolve that much into thinking and feeling differently about your worth that way. What, what do you think your the comedy Kevin, uh, the comedian Kevin, would think about the Kevin that's selling copy for 50 grand? Man, these are good questions, Chris. <laughs> um, that's, that's, it's a good question. I think he would think, uh, well, you know, good for you, but that's your life. I, you know, I, that isn't for me. Mm. You know, you, you're born of a different, uh, you're cut of a different cloth and you understand how all that works. But I've chosen this path uh, to be a creative person and, you know, that requires suffering. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> hey, listeners, we're going to wrap up the first part of Kevin's interview there and we'll return on the next episode to chat more with Kevin and dive deep into the importance of incredible copy and how he breaks through different income levels as an entrepreneur. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out on the episode. And you guys, we'll see you soon. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high performance productivity coaching and our annual Get Shit Done live retreat in Thailand. Both are designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to get a lot of work done rapidly. And whether you need some personal coaching while working away at home or a retreat in Thailand where you can get out of your normal routine and surround yourself with other successful entrepreneurs, we have those options for you. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com and we'll see you on the next podcast.